Welcome to the Paradigm Shift Podcast, where we are unraveling the roots of abortion through real-life stories and expert conversations. We have an awesome guest. Her name is Trione Daly, and she is the center direct director of a pregnancy center called the Crisis Pregnancy Center in Nevada. So she's that center director as well as their after-abortion um, service provider um, in that area. And so without further ado, you can see from the picture on your screen, she is going to be fun. So sit back and relax and help me to welcome Trion. Hey. Hey, How Karen. It's good. so good to see you. You too. You haven't changed a bit since I last saw you. Well, my hair's a little flat right now, but you know, pretty good. <laughs> well, so for those listening, um, we met at the CareNet conference and that CareNet is an umbrella organization that um, supports pregnancy centers throughout the country. I think there's like 1,300 affiliates, and every year they have a conference, um, and all of those, or a lot of those pregnancy centers attend, as well as peripheral agencies, um, authors of after-abortion um, support programming, adoption agencies, things like that. And so that's where Trion and I met last year, and I think we have a picture of when she stopped by our booth. This just really gives you insight. <laughs> There she is. Look at her with her boot and all on. And we just connected. I mean, it was like we had known each other forever, Trion, right? I mean, we Absolutely. connected in a way that we spoke the same language, you know, about options based and, and things like that. And we're going to get to that a little bit later. So you know what we're talking about. Um, but I just, um, you know, Trion is, um, has been so gracious to come on this show today. She has a lot to tell about her past and her and her upbringing and how that impacted her future. And so you're gonna hear some really graphic things today. So I just want you to know that we have a team ready. Um, if you message us on Facebook, they'll respond to you right away. And we're gonna put our website on the screen and we'll have it up for the duration of the program. So if you wanna reach out through our website, you can do that as well, there you have it. So Trion, could you tell us, you know what, what made you wanna come on the show today? Well, I know for a long time, I felt like I was the only one who experienced what I experienced, where that wasn't the case. That wasn't true. My story is not that special. It's not that unusual. It's not that different. The details might be different, but the overall story of the pain, the family dysfunction, the trauma, lots of families encounter that and lots of people encounter that. The difference is, in my story, is where I had some ability to have some hope and some healing some restoration and to really be restored in a way that I didn't think was possible at the time. And so I would really like to share how that happened with me and how that can happen to other people. Well, that's awesome, Trion. So why don't you get started? You know, start us out as a young child. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, well, the first time that I, that I really know that I was sexually abused, I know I was five years old. I know five because I was in kindergarten. I learned to tie my shoes and that was a really big deal. It's still a big deal today, but I learned to tie my shoes. So that was big. And um, my, my dad worked for this man and his son was in charge of kind of keeping me out of people's hair, keeping me out of my dad's hair, keeping me out of my mom's hair. Um, my dad was a truck driver. So when they would work on the trucks and do the mechanics, you know, we kids would get in the way. I can't tell you how old the man was. Uh, I know he was old enough to have his own tattoos and have his own place to live. So this was somebody much older than me. And at five years old, he was told to take care of me. 
So it started out really kind of slowly as, as predators do, and they kind of groom you and start you out with things. And so it started as a simple molestation and, you know, showing pictures and that kind of thing. And then more and more happened. And that school year, more and more happened where it was downright rape and it was downright really terrible things. And I told my mom, and I had told my mom before it got to the actual rape part, I had told her that he was touching me and what was happening. And she had said to me, if you tell, daddy will lose his job and we will have nowhere to live. If we have nowhere to live, we're going to live in the street. You cannot tell. Oh my and gosh, so, my gosh, that that's just, I mean, it's just ripping my heart apart that at such a tender age, um, you, I mean, for reasons that you probably didn't understand at the time you were just exploited, right? I mean, what absolutely. I'm really hearing you say is that your mom and dad actually kind of trafficked you, right? Got you well, into that lifestyle of exchanging sex for either to maintain that job or can you tell us a little bit more about that? And maybe um, for those that don't understand what sex trafficking is, um, just kind of like define that for us. Well, you know, I didn't even really understand until a few years ago that I was actually sexually trafficked. I had always told people, well, I was sexually abused. And that was the truth, I was sexually abused. Um, I didn't make the connection until a few years ago uh, that when when your parent, who was my mother, when, when your parent is making deals with grown men that, oh yeah, you can have sex with my child, or you can do this, you can make movies with my child, you can do this, you can do that, um, and in, in response, I will get a place to live or I will get a car payment or I will get a TV or whatever. I had no idea. But anytime you exchange sexual favors for tangible items or for even if it was just, um, you know, a, a place to live sounds like not much, but that's still a tangible item. Okay. And so when there's an exchange like that made, that's more than abuse. That's, that's trafficking. Yeah. The difference was instead of being on the street with a pimp who says, oh, you're going to do this or I'm going to beat you up. Instead of instead of that experience, it was my mother. Wow. Thanks so much for being, you know, so being for being so transparent. I know that probably wasn't very easy to you, for you to share with everybody that's watching. Um, so let's go back to that time. If you can, what was your little head thinking at the time? Do you re do you recall what went through like the first I time recall some. Um I recall that <laughs> I remember the first time when I did tell my mom and she said, daddy will lose his job. Don't tell. And I remember, I don't, I, I can't define whether it was that school year or the next school year. I, I don't remember which one it was, but I had told another adult and things are different than now than what they were then. But I told another adult and I don't know what happened. I do know I was never taken away from my parents and my dad did lose his job and we did lose our place to live. So all it did was reinforce to me that my mother was correct. What she said was true. And you need to do this to keep your home and keep your family. And I know that my dad left shortly after that because my parents had a very codependent, violent relationship. And my father left the home. And so I learned very quickly, you don't tell, you do what you're told. And it's simply you women. I learned very early on that women were not good for anything except for a man's sexual pleasure. Wow. Wow, Trio, thanks for, for going there. You know, in the before you said something about, and I want to get this right, you said um, that this is more common than people might think. 
Absolutely. Can you expand on that a little bit? Well, I just, I know that the statistics change for where you go look at statistics at. Um, but if you just look at just the CDC, we have a lot of things in the news right now about the CDC, right, with COVID and all that. If you look at them, they say that one in five women will be raped in her lifetime. They say that one in eight women will experience that rape between the ages of 11 and 17, and one in eight are under 10 years old. Well, I look at that and go, well, that can't be right because nobody ever, nobody ever saved me. Nobody ever took me from my home. Nobody ever put me in foster care. Nobody ever did that. So if that was true of me, and I've spoke to other people, and as we've had women come into the pregnancy center for their post-abortion healing, it's often tied with sexual abuse. And when yeah. you hear their stories, and they were the they, same things. Nobody came and took them out of their home. Nobody came. And I'm like, so I know that is, as wonderful as it is that they're keeping these statistics, they can't be incredibly accurate. Yeah, It's a bigger story than what people know. You know, I, I see so many similarities, not the specifics of what you went through, but how you felt about yourself as a result, you know, and then later we're going to get into your story a little bit later in life and some of the choices that you made. We find that with the people that come to us after they've had an abortion and they're struggling, you know, they're up grew. There was roots. There was, you know, like you said that your dad left the home, that there it was a violent relationship or a tumultuous relationship between your mom and dad. Those kinds of environments just condition us to feel differently about ourselves. And as a result, we try to, whatever need is being unmet, we try to fill that. And so it's so common. Um, and like what you just said, you know, we think that the numbers reported for those people that have had an abortion each year could be low as well because they're not all reported, right? Correct. So mm -hmm. I mean, there's just so much commonality in here and I love that. So if we could move a little bit forward here and tell us, you know, tell us a little bit more. This was just the start of your life. You know, what mm -hmm. happened at around age 14 and, and like kind of paint that picture for us. Well, from five to 14, that was just my life. I was just used and abused and that was the way it was. And that was normal for me. That's what I thought was normal. So at 14, my parents were going to move out of state and they were back together by this time. They spent a lot of time back and forth with each other and with other people. And it was a mess. And but by 14, I had said, I'm done. I'm not changing schools again. I'm not moving. I was pretty headstrong and rebellious. And so by that point, and I said, I'm not doing it. I'm staying here. And so my dad and I made a deal and he would buy me a car and I could have my car and I'd have some safety there and I could stay behind while they moved out of state. And so that's what we did. And so I just lived in my car. I would stay with the occasional friend. Um, if there was a man that I would stay with. So from 14 to 16, I just kind of survived and did what I believed was normal, what seemed normal in my world. The abuse didn't change. See, I was still being trafficked and abused. The difference was, is my mom wasn't in charge anymore. The difference was I thought I was making my own choices. It actually was from lack of choices. I was, I was making a choice from lack of. And so I did some pretty hard, terrible things just to survive and to make it for those two years. You know, when I hear you say that it was normal for you, I, and I get that intellectually, it was all that you knew. Um, but my gosh, at the age of 14, I could not have survived living in my car. Like, you know, that your background prepares you to be able to survive that time in your life, right? 
Absolutely. That vulnerability that you experienced so young equipped you to be able to survive something that I wouldn't have been able to survive myself. Can you talk a little bit about that time that like around 14 and then a couple of years later, I know something else happened. Well, when that, that 14 year that at that mark when, and I'm just surviving in my car, I'm surviving with girlfriends, I'm partying, drinking, doing drugs. I looked much older and you can tell, cause look at all these wrinkles. <laughs> and so, but I looked much older than my age. And so I would lie and I would manipulate and do things that were very unlovely to survive. And some of those things, you know, going home with men that I didn't know and order and exchanging sex for a place to stay in a shower and meals and, and that kind of thing. And that's just what I did. And I really didn't see anything wrong with it. And so by 16 though, uh, my parents had moved back into the community that I was living in and I found myself pregnant. And at that point, um, I wasn't supposed to get pregnant. I had been told for many, many years, all the doctor stuff that I would never become pregnant. I would never be able to carry a child. There was too much damage done. It wasn't going to happen. Okay. Didn't, it didn't really matter that much to me. I didn't want children anyway. So it was not really a thought process for me. So I found myself pregnant and was said, well, I'm going to have an abortion. I scheduled my abortion, planned it, had the money for it, was going to go through with it. Well, someone had told my father that I was pregnant. And that's all I told him. I was pregnant. So my father said, oh, for some reason, he felt the need that he was allowed to speak into my life. Got me. But he did. And so he said, you will have an abortion. He didn't know that was my plan. And he said, you will have an abortion because you're not going to embarrass us. And so I would, oh, will I now? And I was just so rebellious and just so such a terrible person that no matter what he said, I was going to do the opposite. So because he said I was going to have an abortion, I automatically decided I was not going to and I didn't go through with it. And so because I was still in high school uh, at that time in that particular community, uh, there was a thing called a teen parents program. And you were not allowed to attend the public school because you were a bad influence on the others. Now, to be fair, I want to make this point. Plenty of other girls were having sex in school. They just weren't <laughs> pregnant. OK, um, but once you were pregnant, you were a bad influence. And so you went to the teen parents program. And so I went to that. Looking back, I can see how that was an incredible program. It really did help me and prepare me. Um, we, I was able to finish school. I was able to get start to get some job skills. I was able to learn about prenatal development and learn about uh, labor and delivery. All these things that I was going to need very soon, but didn't know it at the time. At the time, it just was very unfair. At the time, it was like, I don't get prom and I don't get graduation ceremony and walk across there. And I don't get these things and very, very unfair. Um, but whatever. So I went to the teen parents program, went out, went ahead and got a job, got a place to live, had my child. Did all those things. Let me let me stop you there. There was so much information in that. So what I'm hearing is. Um, you know, and, and I want you to know, most people that have been had the lifestyle that you had and brought up the way you were, don't get that kind of opportunity to have their life turned around, right? 
Absolutely. We talked about this a little bit in the interview. And even though at the time you thought that it was that you were being punished for being pregnant, it really did turn out to be a blessing, right? It really so, was. So, so tell me about that shift in your thinking. Here you are pregnant, learning about how to have a job, learning about potentially being becoming a mother or actually learning about becoming a mother. What happened in your thinking at that time? Actually, my thinking was really messed up. Oh, okay. I mean, uh, to tell you the truth, even through the whole process, uh, I thought, oh man, what am I doing? I'm doing this out of rebellion and spite. And um, I did care enough about and love my child enough in the womb that I stopped drinking, stopped partying, stopped doing drugs, uh, stopped that entire lifestyle, was bound to determine I was going to do two years of high school in one year so I could you know, get out and be able to get a job. And I was bound to determine for that. No one's going to tell me any different. And, and so, but I also looked into adoption, but I was, honestly, I was unaware that uh, crisis pregnancy centers existed or pregnancy resource centers existed. And so I didn't know where I was looking, but I was just looking and trying to find places and nobody could seem to help me. And I looked into adoption and everyone around me said, you don't love your baby. And I was like, yes, I do. Do you know what kind of person I am? I can't raise a baby. And so, but because of that out, that outer influence of you don't love your baby and I didn't have anyone champion for me and helping me, I was like, oh, I guess I'm going to parent this baby. I guess I'm going to have a baby. And so I went through all those things, scared, terrified, complete disaster, the whole pregnancy had this baby shook for three hours after she was born, just shook. And they, and the doctor and nurse had said that, you know, that can be common. I'm thinking, no, I'm terrified. Yeah. You know? Yeah, you know yes, I, I do. I, I'm really proud of you. Um, you know, it's not common for people to turn their life around like that when they get pregnant. And um, what I'm hearing is that you didn't want to be the same kind of parents that your, that your parents were to you. Absolutely. Is there some truth behind that? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, I, and to, and to tell you to say, oh, everything went great from then on. That's not the case. Yeah. Uh, there was lots and lots and lots and lots of hardships. And yeah. um, I became so the absolute opposite parent. Yeah. Yes. And, and you know what? That is so awesome because, you know, if you had become, if you had had that abortion, let's say I'm going to speculate here and stayed in that lifestyle, you might have eventually had a baby and become the very same parent that your parents were. But you've had the opportunity to interrupt that cycle. And that's what that's what this whole network thing is about, is for people to be able to grow in their health, emotionally, physically, spiritually, all of that stuff, right? By understanding where they came from and how that's driven them to where they're going or where they've already gone. Um, so I'm gonna move us on just a little bit because in the very beginning, um, you talked about how um, you know you found healing and you found hope. You know, you lived this whole lifestyle that was horrific and I'm so sorry you had to go through all that stuff. Nobody deserves that. And if you're struggling with that today, please reach out to us, we can help you. Um, but let's start talking about the hope and the healing that comes from that. Well, for me, I have a, a bizarre story with that as well. Of course I do, right? Um, of course, naturally it's me. And so I'm, I'm work walking this out by this point. I had a second child, uh, out of wedlock. So now I have two children out of wedlock and I eventually marry the father of the second child and, um, we're living life and, 
it's whatever it is. And we've got lots of problems and, and lots of dysfunction. But I have some friends who knocked on my door one day and it was actually Christmas day, Christmas evening. And I invite them in and they had just became Jehovah's Witnesses. And so they wanted to share with me about what being a Jehovah's Witness was and about um, going to heaven and, and stuff. So I listened to their whole thing and I care about these people. So I listened to them and then I went to bed that night saying, I don't believe any of that. I don't believe in a God. If God was real, all my past would not have happened. If there was a God who loved me, all that stuff would not have been allowed. So I don't believe any of it. So I told God, so here I am praying to a God I don't believe. Okay. Isn't that bizarre? But I tell God, if you're real and if you really love me and if this stuff is true about you and if you sent your son to die for me, then what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to prove it to me. Woo! Um, God didn't prove nothing to any of us, by the way. Okay. But I was like, you prove it to me. Well, God is gracious and he is merciful. And he spoke to me the very next day in a way that I would understand and a way that I accepted. And I went, hmm, maybe this God guy is real because he just did that. And so, okay. And so for two weeks, I would go past this church. I would drive past this little church in my community and I'd look at it and feel very drawn to it. But I was like, ah, just because it's real doesn't mean I got to go in there. And so I did this little game for two weeks. And then I eventually went into the church and I had heard the gospel message for the first time of really hearing it. Mm -hmm. And I remember going forward and crying and crying. And this poor pastor, he didn't know anything I was saying. All he had was this crying, hysterical woman. And so he prayed for me and sent me on back to the chair. And uh, fortunately, the job I was working uh, I was a dental assistant and I would wear a mask, which everybody knows about these days. And so I'd wear a mask and all you could see is my eyes. And a gentleman stopped after church and said, I think I know you. And I said, yeah, I clean your teeth. <laughs> and he said, oh, and so he shared uh, the gospel with me again. And he said, do you want to accept Jesus? And I said, yes. Oh, wow. And he's like, do, do you know that you're a sinner? And I'm like, oh, yes, I know I'm a sinner. No question about that. And so I accepted Jesus that day and that just rocked my world. And so where I had a drastic life change. That's so awesome. That's so awesome. You know, you said earlier about um, believing or talking to a God that you didn't believe in. I experienced that myself when I started recovering, you know, when I was such a bad drug addict and I just there, I just couldn't do it anymore. You know, I started to pray to a God that other people believed in because I didn't believe in him either. So I can relate to what you just said. Wow, that's so that's such an awesome story. So let's talk a little bit about the actual healing that you've gone through, because we know that church happens, but there's some stuff that's really deeply ingrained when you've been traumatized sexually, when you've been exploited sexually. We see this the same kind of hurt in the people that we serve after they've had an abortion. Can you talk about the healing that you went through that just changed your life along with your relationship with Christ? Absolutely. My, my healing really is, is still, I'm still doing it. My healing's still a journey. Um, there are people who say that they do one thing and they're healed and they're done and one and done and good. That wasn't my experience and hasn't been my experience. Doesn't mean I'm not close to Christ. It means that the more things that are healed, the more things that are brought to light that need healing. 
And so it's a continual thing. But when I started out for a long time, I didn't understand I needed healing. I just had a lot of anger and rage and emotions. And I was a lot to take. I was a lot for people to handle. And so it took me a while to even figure out I needed something. But then I started reading some self-help books and I found some good stuff. And I said, I saw a couple of uh, counselors and there was some good stuff. And I continued on and did some Bible studies and there was some good stuff. And I got something from all of those things, as well as just asking God to remove all the hatefulness and hurt and all that. I'm not good enough mm. and I'm never going to measure up and you can't possibly love me because you don't know the real me. You don't mm. really know my history. So you can't really love me and all of those types of feelings. And um, you don't know what I did. See, because as a child, when you're trafficking as a child, you have no, no responsibility and you are not to fault. As a teenager, from that 14 to 16 especially, um, I did a lot of things that were my choices. And so because of that, now they were born out of, out of brokenness beforehand, but I believed I was making choices. So I had a lot of unforgiveness toward myself that I yeah. couldn't seem to get past. And so I was really struggling with that. So one of the big things that um, I was able to go to is I went to this retreat called Rachel's Rest and they're based in Georgia and they are for domestic violence and sexual abuse retreat. And during that retreat, um, I really had people there who were willing to sit with me in my pain and they weren't scared of my pain. They, and it didn't scare them away like it did so many other people. They were willing to sit with me, to process with the, me, to allow me time to feel it and to get it out and allow me to feel whatever I needed to feel. Yeah, that that, you know, that's so similar too. I, I'm just making all these correlations, but but it's all related. Right. We find Absolutely. people that have had an abortion that have sexual abuse in their history. Right. It's very common for that to happen. And and even like in our virtual groups, we have a sexual trauma class. So yes. when we close out today, I'll tell you a little bit more how you can get information about those virtual groups. But we're running out of time, Tria. And we're can definitely I just say gonna... one more thing really quick. Yes, um, yes. My my right now, what I've been doing for healing is there's this book called Unraveled Roots. And it's really <laughs> it has helped me make some connections from childhood dysfunction to why I made some choices that I made. And I don't want to not plug. Look it up. Buy the book. <laughs> and um, it's super helpful. Thank, thank, thank you, you for that. <laughs> and that is one of the offerings that we have in our virtual group. So I want you to, I've just a few more minutes to go. And I just, I want, you know, you're, you're so full of hope. And what do you want to say to the people that are watching today? Well, the last thing would be that if you have suffered this, you are not alone. You are not the only person. You're not the only person who has been through this. You're not the only person who feels this. Um, Dr. Karen McDonald said something really amazing to me one time. She said that when you throw a baseball through a window, whether the hole is this big or this big, you still have a broken window. Mm. There's still trauma from, okay? And so if you have opportunity, whether your hole is this big or this big, there's hope and there is healing available. And don't think you're not worth it because you are absolutely worth it. So find a trusted person, find a trusted group who will walk through your pain with you who can be, who can, you can lean on and who can understand you and heal you, who can 
God, God wants to heal you. He's desiring to heal you. And he's the only one who can completely, but he wants to, and he's waiting for you. Amen, sister. So we're going to have Trion back in three weeks because there's so much left to her story. Um, she started a pregnancy center, um, did some research that was really creative and just has some really unique ideas about how to reach people that wouldn't normally walk through your pregnancy center or your mental health provider door. So um, thank you, Trion, for coming on. It was so great just chatting with thank you today. Karen. You're welcome. And next week we have a great show for you. We're going to have, do you remember Jesse Lapeck was on a few weeks ago? She's going to join her husband next week. And we're going to talk about how dads, grandfathers um, are impacted by abortion as well. This, you know, Father's Day is the Sunday after our next, what a great show, Trion. I know there's people out there that have been touched by your words. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for joining us today. If you or someone you know has been impacted by abortion, you are not alone. Contact us today at supportafterabortion.com. If you are inspired by today's message, we welcome you to join the conversation by following us on Facebook or Instagram.